This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, August 28th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The widening target for natural disasters. Plus, marchers are again convening in Washington, just as they did in 1963. But first, President Trump's convention speech is today's one big thing. Last night, President Trump staged a political rally to formally accept his party's nomination. More than a thousand people tightly packed the South Lawn of the White House on the final night of the Republican National Convention, while others protested just outside. Axios's White House and politics editor, Margaret Taleb, was following this speech closely, and she's with us now to share some of her big takeaways. Margaret, what was most striking to you about President Trump's speech last night? Nyla, it was just the epic proportion of it. I mean, it's a, an hour and 10-minute speech. Compare that with Joe Biden's 24-minute speech. And the TV production quality of the show, more than 1,500 guests, again, all staged within inches, not feet of each other, no social distancing whatsoever, almost no masks in the crowd. All of this was to build to the idea of showing with images that the pandemic's not really that big a deal, that the U.S. has basically moved past it. He also was trying to remind everyone, although the White House was not originally where he had wanted to do this, the White House was kind of where he got stuck. And I think he realized that he could use that to his advantage. And at one point he said towards the end of the speech, the fact is we're here and they're not. What he was really saying is, I can say anything I want to. I am the president of the United States. I dare Joe Biden to come catch me. What was his most effective critique of Joe Biden? Well, we'll see whether it was effective or not, but it was certainly a very deliberate critique. He hammered Biden repeatedly. Joe Biden is weak. He takes his marching orders from liberal hypocrites. He even compared him at one point in sort of a dog whistle to evangelical voters, to Satan. Joe Biden is not a savior of America's soul. And if given the chance, he will be the destroyer of American greatness. Put this all together, it's a picture of Joe Biden at once, this powerless Trojan horse and the all-powerful destroyer. Margaret, we're now at Friday morning after both of the conventions are finished. I wonder to you how you would compare them. They're the same, but the opposite, right? The Democrats' convention was almost entirely virtual. They made a virtue of social distancing. For President Trump, more is better. And it was a grand spectacle of a convention, very different appeal with the same end goal. Scare people into voting for you because they're going to get the other guy otherwise. Margaret, where do we go from here? We go to the campaign trail. But again, I think we'll see it in very different ways. We'll see President Trump try to have large crowds. If he can do it at the White House, he can do it out on the road. We'll see Joe Biden test much smaller venues in swing states, surgical stops, abiding the rules of social distancing and the pandemic rules that are in place in various states and counties. 
it won't be a traditional campaign year, but it will follow a modified version of a traditional path, which is you come out of the conventions with your messaging in tow and you take it to the voters in the places that matter the most. Margaret Taleb is Axios' White House and Politics Editor. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks, Nyla. We'll be back in 15 seconds with our increasing vulnerability to natural disasters. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. Hurricane Laura made landfall early morning yesterday as a Category 4 storm with 150-mile-an-hour winds. Although it didn't cause as much flooding as forecast, it was still one of the most powerful storms in U.S. history and did cause at least six deaths and huge amounts of damage. But our future correspondent, Brian Walsh, says we shouldn't think about damage from a storm in terms of how strong it is. What we should be thinking about is how many people are in its path. Brian, on that topic, how many more people are moving to coastal cities? So for the coastline counties along the Gulf of Mexico, which includes the area hit by Hurricane Laura, you had 3 million additional people go between 2000 and 2016, which is more than any other coastal area in the U.S. It's more than the overall population growth of the country. We should know that the Gulf Coast is pretty much ground zero for hurricanes. So the more people, the more property you put in harm's way, the greater the damage that could potentially happen. And so you use this analogy of it's kind of like an expanding bullseye effect? That's something that geographers and disaster experts have been formulating over the last number of years as they've noticed that we're putting people in harm's way. We put more and more people on the coastlines. We put more people in fire-prone areas of states like California. And we can get into the discussion about climate change increasing the strength of storms, which is definitely true. But ultimately what matters with the disaster is who's in harm's way. I mean, think of the number of hurricanes that form in the Gulf or the Atlantic Ocean and just never reach landfall. They don't do any damage, even though they could be quite strong. In this case, we're not really thinking about the patterns of development. And the upshot there is you have more people who could lose their lives, who could lose their houses when a disaster does happen. How do you think we should be thinking about this? We should think about what kinds of properties are we supporting. We might want to think about where can we put people in areas that are less dangerous. We might want to think about how do we make cities like a Houston, which of course was hit so hard by Hurricane Harvey. You know, we're not asking people to move away from Houston by any means, but you can do things around zoning, you do things around natural barriers that make that kind of city more resilient. Of course, we can try to deal with climate change, but the reality is that a lot of that is baked in already. Storms and fires were going to happen beforehand. We need to think about where we can settle in the safest areas and then try to redouble our resiliency, our adaptation to climate disasters to come. Ryan Walsh writes the Axios Future newsletter. Last night, the 2020 March on Washington began virtually, with Jared Johnson singing what's often referred to as the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Lift every voice and sing. This morning, people are gathering in person at our nation's capital for the 57th anniversary of that historic march. I have the pleasure to present to you 
Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It was on this day in 1963 that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, where he said, The sweltering summer of legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. Today's event feels eerily similar following months of unrest, protests, and violence that have resulted from the multiple instances of police killing unarmed Black Americans, like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And just this week, the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Derek Johnson is the president of the NAACP, one of the civil rights groups organizing the march. Making this a movement, not a moment, is also critical. And it's going to require all of us, all of us, to make it a reality. Before we end today's show, it's been a week, even by 2020 standards. So let's talk about therapy with miniature horses. So come on into our barn. They hear us coming. The Illinois nonprofit Maine in Heaven usually visits hospitals and nursing homes where people can pet and hug the mini horses. But the pandemic has put a pause on in-person visits. That hasn't stopped them from sending cards, care packages, and doing Zoom visits to people in need. People are stressed, there's anxiety, and I think being able to do these virtual visits helps that emotional health. That's it for us this week. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Carol Alderman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Kara Schillen, and Naomi Shaven. Alex Sugiyara is our mix engineer. Sarah Kehilani-Gu is our executive editor. Special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Nyla Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a great weekend.